0: As I tried to argue last night, it's so critical to have a consistent hermeneutic that will allow you the principles that you need to wrestle with the various texts in the Word of God. The Word of God has different genres or different kinds of literature, and each one must be handled according to its nature. To violate that is to ensure that you're going to come away with an incorrect understanding. There's no issue, I believe, that is more central to that than this whole issue about the second coming. Allegorical versus face value. Do you take the text at face value? What I would hope for you is that as a lay person, you haven't been to seminary, you don't know Greek to great detail, is that God has ensured that you can simply open a very trusted translation and discern the meaning that he has for you. Now, not in not to all the depth that it has, but certainly to a level for you to understand and know God's word. I find it disappointing that when we start to study a topic, we don't start with a text. Why, why would you start somewhere and have to try to show me that's what it means when you don't start where it's clearly articulated? For example... If you're going to talk about the second coming, it would seem to me the first thing you would do is open the Bible to a place where the word second coming is used. Because that would be where you would start. Well, the reason they don't do that is because the word's not used. It's a label that's been given, but the label allows people to have very wide possibilities for what it can mean. Well, when you don't have a word in the Bible and you don't use that word to describe the event, and you start with the term that you're going to define its meaning, it's very easy for you then to tell me what it means because I can't argue with you. I can't debate you. What you should do is you should start with the word that the Bible used. Second coming is not a biblical term. It's our term that we use to generalize an event connected with our Lord's descent from heaven. And it allows us to then build these wide systems, which have actually nothing to do with the topic at hand. Diminishes the nature of our Lord's return by talking about a second coming. It's not the term that the New Testament uses. The New Testament used the word parousia. Parousia. This is the term consistently used throughout the New Testament to refer to our Lord's return. It's used throughout the New Testament. It's the one that we should be using, and we should be looking at those passages that utilize this term for clarity concerning what it means. For example, did you know that this term is used four times in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew? The significance of that is probably missed because you think, well, that is normal. It's not the fact that Matthew used this term is of tremendous significance. The fact that he used it in places where in Mark and Luke, the term you would expect it to occur but doesn't, is significant that Matthew chose this term to be his term to represent the next sighting of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is profoundly significant. should not be missed. The fact that the word occurs twice in the letter of James It occurs seven times in the writings of Paul. It occurs three times in the writing of Peter. And it occurs one time in the writing of John. It is the New Testament word for the next sighting of our Lord after he departed this earth. There is no other term other than this one. And it is the study of this term in its context that will clarify and help you understand the exact nature of the next sighting of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are terms that are used like the day of the Lord, terms that are used like the day of Christ, etc. as you heard. These terms have to, be confined, have to be defined in context. Anything other than that is going to lead to error. Now, let me show you something. Parousia, a Greek word, it actually refers to a royal and regal visit of a king. It's a term that was used to describe a visit of a king. He ruled over the area, hadn't been there for a while, and he's coming for a visit. People go out, they meet him, greet him, give him the royal salute. And then the word in its historical context typically talked about him then coming back with the people to the city. Now, the New Testament writers chose this word and assigned it almost, I say almost a technical meaning. It's not always used to refer to Christ, but when it is used of Christ, it in fact does have technical significance. Now, Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. For just like the lightning coming from the east and flashes to the west, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. Now, here is the first time, if you're just moving through the chronology of the English Bible, the first time the word parousia is used. The word coming is the Greek word parousia. So Matthew tells us in this text the next sighting of Jesus, he leaves here, will be at his parousia. And, he says, it will be an event that no one will miss. It's not going to be a secret. He's not going to come in and get some people and leave, and the world is going to say, what happened? Hey, we don't know what happened. People disappeared. I mean, that, that, it's strange credulity, but a lot of people believe that. He says, listen, it's going to be like lightning flashing from one part of the sky to the other. Nobody has to ask which where did that lightning come from. We all saw it. Now, you say, well, that's a different parousia, which is what some people say. Some people say there are two of them, or more. Well, let's see. Apostle Paul, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming, same word, parousia of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Now, Paul is saying, listen, boys and girls, when you talk about the, quote-unquote, rapture, Second coming. When you talk about the coming of Christ, the next time he's going to be sighted, and our gathering together to him. So he's definitely talking about the next time you will see Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, whether you're dead or alive, the next time you see him is going to be at his parousia. Now, the only issue we got to determine is, is there more than one? Because it's definitely at the parousia. I haven't found the word second coming yet i parousia, that's when Paul expected to see the Lord next. Paul's one of us, isn't he? That's when the Thessalonians expected to see him next. They're one of us, right? Then that should be when you expect to see him the next time, at his parousia, when we are going to be gathered to him. Now, Paul says, now, just in case I'm dead and gone, And as somebody comes and tries to deceive you with a sequence that is not biblical, let me give you the sequence. He says, now, get this. Don't be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed by a spirit or a message or a letter or a doctrinal system to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Now, why would he all, Wait a minute. I thought you were talking about the parousia. the next time we're going to see the Lord. Why do you then change and start talking about the day of the Lord? Because they are intimately connected one with the other. So now, Paul has clarified for us. We didn't have to go to some passage talking about some general event. We went to a passage where Paul has tied it all together beautifully. We got the connection. We can see it in the text. Thank you, Brother Paul. I love you for your good, gracious writing. Now look what he says. He says, now, don't let anybody get you upset. Don't let anybody come tell you the rapture has occurred. It was a secret and you didn't know it. You missed it because you weren't ready. You were left behind. Isn't that something? He says, hey, listen, nobody's going to have to tell you. This event will occur, and it'll occur, and you'll know it. He says, now, let me show you what I'm talking about. He goes on to say... In the next verse, verse 3 says, let no, no, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come. Day of the Lord, when we're going to be gathered together to him at the parousia, will not occur until, unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he must take his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Now You just got a sequence. What more do you need? Well, of course, if you don't like it, you obviously you will say that can't mean what it means. We just can't take it at face value, ladies and gentlemen. You've got to have a Ph.D., graduate from a big theological seminary, and know all the Greek and be able to read it in 15 languages. But the English of what it says is not what it says. I don't understand this. This is not what Paul was writing. He was writing to people very upset who were trying to be disturbed. Someone was telling them something that wasn't what he had told them. He said, now listen, what, listen, don't you remember when I was with you, what I was telling you? I haven't changed my mind. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? I haven't changed my mind, Paul says, therefore you shouldn't change yours. The coming, the parousia, the gathering, when we're going to be gathered to Christ, is the next event when we're going to see our Lord. It's when he will descend. It's when he will come. Say, well, how do you know this? Well, he says, and you know What restrains him now so that he takes his, uh, in his time, he'll be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrained will do so until he is taken out of the way. Paul says stuff's going on right now and it's going to eventuate into this, so just keep your eyes open. He says in verse 8, then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. So, well, wait, 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 wait. They said, now, see, that's what's confusing. He said he's going to bring Antichrist to an end by the appearance of a coming. Therefore, they say this has to be post-trib. This has to be something dealing with Armageddon. So the second coming must be limited only to Armageddon. Because here it says coming. At his coming, he's going to bring Antichrist to an end by the appearance of his coming, by the breaking of it. It will bring him to an end. So I wait a minute. Well, that changes the equation, right? No. Because the parousia is not an event that happens on one day at one hour. The parousia obviously must cover a span of time. It has to. Otherwise, the text makes no sense. Or you'll have to do what some of my friends do and say that there's more than one parousia of Christ. The only problem is that the text never differentiates between one or the other because the term discovers, covers a series of events that has a beginning. It runs a course and it has an end. The parousia of Christ begins with his appearing. The word bring to an end. One of those translational issues that you'll have to discover and work with doesn't mean to kill him doesn't mean he's going to kill him at this point. It means that his kingdom rule, his exercise will be severely limited. He will be neutral. Impotent would be a better word. He will be brought to impotency because once Christ breaks the sky, deals off, righteous are taken away, and then God's wrath begins pouring on the wicked. All contained in the parousia. There's not two parousias. In no place the word parousia occurs in the New Testament is ever plural to suggest that there are two parousias of Christ. There's only one parousia, but it covers over a pan of time. In fact, we discover in the book of Revelation that it's at least five months long part of the parousia of Christ. What I hope you would do, ladies and gentlemen, is that you always turn to a book chapter and verse to start. You don't start with a bunch of generalities. It starts where the text starts. Now, the significance of all of this, and wonderful and beautiful, is that Matthew took the Olivet Discourse of our Lord and reshaped it to explain all the events connecting with our Lord's parousia. It's brilliant. It was not originally done that way, but he recrafted it, and he did it so brilliantly that when some people go to it, they think he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem when he's not even talking about it. Matthew 24 doesn't even talk about the destruction of Jerusalem. He's not, he has no interest in it. He's interested in the Lord's return, which he recrafts the Olivet Discourse. And the key to knowing that is the word parousia, the next visible manifestation of the Lord Jesus. When he comes in the clouds, ladies and gentlemen, whether you're dead or alive, you will be there. You will not miss it. And nobody will guess that it has happened. They will know it because it's going to light up the sky as our Lord descends in the light of His glory with God as His marvelous backdrop when He's exposed to the universe. The sixth seal says at that point, the wicked will start running away from Christ. But guess what? The righteous will be doing, we'll be running to Him. Because it's now our time to see the manifest power of God against the wicked. It's so glorious and so wonderful, I don't understand why anybody wouldn't be excited about that. I really don't. I'm, just to be honest, I really don't. Because that's the way the text should be explained, not contra.